Hey, podcast friends. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano. And guess what? While radio listeners are getting a rerun of the Dinner Party Download this week, today we are treating you to an all-new installment of our occasional series, Dinner for One, featuring a single, almost unedited interview with somebody totally spectacular. One interview. Dinner for one. We're so clever. See how that works? Geniuses. Today we're going to hear Rico's chat with actor Giancarlo Esposito, who's best known as the quietly murderous drug kingpin Gus Fring in the TV Mm. shows Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Yes. And we'll get to that in a second, but first... We have to admit, we've been a little tired lately. Yes, we've been dealing with some very late nights because we're putting together an epic special show we're going to unleash on you next weekend, and it is called Look Up and Listen. Now, this is a one-off, hour-long audio spectacular we're producing with help from the NEA and the National Park Service, and the idea is for you to listen to it outside under the stars. It is also unlike anything that we've done before. It's a little bit weird. It's fun and weird, and it's full of great guests. And to save us having to explain it to you any further, here's a little preview we put together. Check it out. So I wonder if Einstein used moose in his hair to keep it standing up on end like that. I mean, I would. Excuse me, are are you superstar astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson? I guess I am. You're the dinner party download guys, right? That's right. Pleased to meet you. Welcome. Likewise. Are you... Talking to a coyote, though? Uh, I think it's a wolf. I am. Coyotes are smaller, thank you. And we all default to English in Dr. Tyson's presence. On June 23rd, the Dinner Party Download, the public radio show and podcast Entertainment Weekly calls a must-hear, invites you to turn off your digital screens, lay under the stars, and listen to an hour-long audio odyssey about two radio journalists from the city who spend a little too much time in the studio. Guys, I'm going to take a guess here, but I don't think you get out in nature very much, do you? What? That's... Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay, when? When do you get out in nature? There's a patio outside the bar that we go to after work on Fridays. Cast into the great outdoors, they get attuned to the natural world with help from magical creatures like rock star Feist. When I'm in nature, somehow I feel susceptible again to being a being prey. <laughs> Robin Pecknold of Fleet Foxes. I've got some great pictures for Instagram when I get back. And they get their minds blown by Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're not made of anything special. You're made of the same stuff that's the most common ingredients in the universe. And we have DNA in common with all other life. So, no, you're not special for being different. Maybe instead we should think of it as you're special for being the same. Makes me want to know what I have in common with Saturn. You want to go there right now? I mean, yeah, we need a rocket ship. I got one right over here. That looks like a 1982 Volvo covered in corduroy. I know. It was a gift from Carl Sagan. Uh-huh. Oh. Here, get in. Just, yeah, move the turtleneck shirt to the back seat. They'll make room. Okay. Look up and listen. An hour-long audio odyssey through nature and space. Made to be listened to outside. From the Dinner Party Download, in conjunction with the NEA and the National Park Service, with hosts Rico Galliano and Brendan Francis Newnham. Oh, I should tell you, this thing goes faster than light speed, so when we get back... It'll be 10 years ago. What? What? Happy trails, gentlemen. Coming to public radio and podcast June 23rd. There you go. That show will be available for download starting Friday, June 23rd. By the way, since we put that preview together, we've added guests like Mr. Alan Alda to the show. Spoiler alert. Amazing. Although that was really exciting because I was raised to be Alan Alda. That's right. That's what Brendan's mom says. I no longer have to go to therapy after doing that interview. It's oh, going to be a great. special show, post-therapy, 
and will actually be at Lassen Volcanic National Park in Northern California on June 24th to host a listening party for it. That's right. And uh, if you can't be there for that, we're making it easy for you to throw your own listening parties for Look Up and Listen. You can do that on your lawn or your driveway or anywhere out. Lawns and driveways, you really are in L.A. I uh, Well, I guess so. <laughs> if you're in New York, you can listen to it in your kitchen with your refrigerator door open, cooling you off. Or out on your fire escape or something. Anywhere oh, yeah. you won't get in trouble <laughs> for disturbing the peace. Starting June 23rd, you're going to find a listening kit and all sorts of information about this show at dinnerpartydownload.org slash lookup. That is one word, look up. That's also where you'll find the trailer we just played you. If you dig it, please share it on your social media channels. Please do. And now... Let's finally hear me talking to Giancarlo, for God's sake. Should we do that? Man, modest of you. You're welcome. Couldn't delay gratification. (laughs) Nope. Here we go. In a career that spanned over 50 years, Giancarlo Esposito has become one of the most celebrated character actors in America. He was a regular in Spike Lee's first groundbreaking movies. And right now you'll find his work on three TV shows. Amazing. As the fiery pastor on The Get Down, as the narrator of the Netflix show Dear White People, and of course as the aforementioned Gus Fring on Better Call Saul. That show's season finale airs this Monday on AMC. But when we spoke, we first talked about his early life as a kid in Italy. His mother was an opera singer and his dad was a stagehand. That's correct. He was a, a carpenter and stagehand in the opera house in Napoli and also at Alla Scala in Milan. Oh, my gosh. San Carlo. That's the opera house in Napoli at the base of the boot. That's where he started with his father. Was that your first memory of, of wanting to be part of show business yourself at La Scala? You know, um, it wasn't. I was very young at that period of time, but it was observing my mom, who just loved what she did and, and went to Europe uh, during the Porgy and Bess tour and met my father. And I would watch her prepare to go and sing opera and, and go and do the show. And it was always like she was turned into a different person. I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of fascinating. And you, you wanted to do that yourself. The, the Internet tells me you were on Broadway by age eight. So uh, acting has really been your whole life. I do wonder, though, if there's ever been a moment where you considered another career. Because Mm. acting is not an easy (laughs) path. It's not an easy path at all. I I, I love what I do and loved it then and still love it now. There were many moments. uh, I'm very interested in history. And so the two things that I would have done would have been to be an archaeologist one, because you travel. I share that with the acting uh, bug. I travel the world, but as an archaeologist, you travel to different places and you unearth uh, different things and find out about history. So archaeology was very interesting to me, but also I was interested in becoming a, a, a healer, a chiropractor and Reiki master, which I have not yet done yet, but uh, I thought, hmm, I like helping people and empowering people to be their best selves through linking up their connectivity in their physical body and their spirituality as well. That, specifically chiropractic, that's, that's really interesting of all the things you could do. Why that? Well, I was really young, and um, my first Broadway show, um, well, maybe it wasn't my first. It was actually my third or fourth seesaw. They came to my mother. I was 13 years old. And they said, oh, he's a little chunky. He could stand to lose some weight. And she took me to a friend of hers who was a chiropractor, Edwin Samuelson. He was a chiropractor, but he would hypnotize me and tell me to eat three meals a day. Really? Nothing in between. (laughs) Did it work? (laughs) Yeah, it worked for a little while. (laughs) Are are you serious, though? He, like, actually... Uh, This is no joke, dude. This is... (laughs) Truth is stranger than fiction. I thought I'm going... He would adjust me, my body, and then we'd take the end of the session, and he would literally hypnotize me and tell me in a very calm voice there was no eating in between meals, no snacking, only three meals a day. And I found him to be a very eclectic 
eclectic man. He yeah. was a tall Scandinavian dude um, who, who was just brilliant in his thinking. So it did work for a while. At least the, the power of suggestion was laid down and I followed the path. Obviously, you made the right choice as an actor. Between Broadway and playing Gus, you've been in basically, you know, everything. I wanted to mention just a couple of my favorite of your characters and have you tell me what you remember about playing them. Starting with the obvious, which would be the character of Buggin' Out in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. He was this angry black activist wandering the streets of Bed-Stuy trying to get his neighbors riled up. What do you remember of uh, shooting that classic? Oh, I, I loved that piece because it felt very much like a stage play. We took over a block in Brooklyn um, in Bed-Stuy that had only two residents on the block. We kicked out the crack house and we, beat, we oh, turned yeah. it into a Hollywood set. It's a little different so now. To me, a little different now. It's mm-hmm. all gentrified now and a very different space. I went back there with Spike to do a photo shoot a couple of years ago, and uh, I witnessed how different it is. Wow. Yeah. But I remember it being a very, very emotional moment in time in the history of New York, and it, it felt like we were doing something that was beyond us, that mm-hmm. was sort of going to be great. And it wasn't like we knew it was going to be interpreted as being great. It was that we were a family doing something that felt really right. Mm. So I felt like the king of the block. I loved it because Bugging Out was a guy who I always fashioned to be a guy who read one paragraph of Malcolm X or one paragraph <laughs> of Martin Luther King, and he felt like he knew it all. But he <laughs> So that's like a smoking gun. The guy was just, you know, a loose cannon because he had found his, you know, authentic blackness and he wanted yeah. to, was excited to spread it. Okay. Mookie! What? How come you got no brothers up on the wall? Man, ask Sal, right? Hey, hey, Sal, how come you got no brothers up on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. But this is my pizzeria. American Italians on the wall only. Yeah, that might be fine, Sal, but uh, you, you own this. Rarely do I see any American Italians eating in here. All I see is black folks. So since we spend much money here, we do have some sex. Look, you want to get your friend out of here? Well, are you going to kick me out now? Are you, you going to kick me out? Huh? No, I'm not kicking you out. You're kicking yourself out. What? Look, we want some brothers up on the wall, you Let's know? Go. Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, you know, you're Michael Jordan. Tomorrow. Come on, get, get, get him out, out all right? I'm trying to get him out. How did, how did he, Spike and the rest of the crew, create that sense of community? Because that is, when I went back and watched it recently, that is the thing that leapt out at me more than anything, is that you really feel like this is a real world and that it's populated by people who really do know each other. Was there some kind of boot camp where you all got to know each other first or what? Yeah, we rehearsed um, and read that particular script for a week. And in the making of, by St. Clair Bourne, you'll see me completely bearded with long hair and Spike coming to you, John Carlo, when are you going to fix your hair? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He would always trust me. That's what did it. Spike's trust. Trust that he could create that atmosphere. Spike is a is a big um, um, basketball fan, yeah. football fan. So he, he ran things like a team. And that's great. When you have mm-hmm. a team effort, things turn out differently. Um, Another character, also probably lesser known, but one of my favorites of yours, you played an underground do-gooder journalist in Tim Robbins' film Bob Roberts. Incredibly prescient political satire, predicted a lot of modern conservative politics in a way. It seems like a lot of your early work, and still some of it, is very politically minded. 
Was that by choice? Absolutely by choice. I, I loved Bob Roberts and Tim Robbins's version of what he was foreseeing to be possibly our future. And the character he played was, you know, a cross between David Dukes and, and George Bush. Yeah. And uh, for me, I played a character I could really relate to, a character based on a, an actual um, reporter named Danny Casolaro, mm -hmm. who uncovered something called the octopus. And Danny wrote letters uh, to people that he knew saying, if I was ever found dead, and just know I didn't kill myself. Well, Danny is gone. And mm. um, I don't know as much as I should know about his whole life. But I knew I wanted to play someone who was a, uh, a truth speaker, someone who wanted things to be better for the rest of the world. The reason Iran-Contra happened is because no one did anything substantial about Watergate. And the reason Watergate happened is because there were no consequences from the Bay of Pigs. They're all the same operatives, didn't you notice? The foot soldiers in the Bay of Pigs, the plumbers that got busted at Watergate, the gun runners in Iran-Contra, all the same people, same faces. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out the connection here. A secret government beyond the control of the people and accountable to no one. And the closer we are to discovering the connection, the more the Congress turns a blind eye to it. We can't talk about that in open session, they say national security reasons. The truth lies dormant in their laps, and they stay blind out of choice. The hurdle for that character, Bugs Raplin, was that mm -hmm. he had, you know, cerebral palsy. The character name I played, Bugs Raplin, and so I went down to the cerebral palsy institute down on 23rd Street and hung out there for a week to get the physical yeah. um, part of my character. But by choice for me, I think what I do is, is always connected to the world around us, and I... I Love fantasy, would love to do comedy as well, but my favorite things to do are things that reflect the nature of our world. You mentioned his physicality. He had cerebral palsy. That film was shot in my hometown of Pittsburgh, and I actually had a lowly set job on that film. And, Come on! Yeah, for, certain, wow. for real. And I remember people who worked with you on that set telling me that you remained in character at all times to the point that because the character had these physical problems, that you would keep them even between takes. You would walk with a limp. Is that true? Were you your kind of method in that way? Uh, absolutely. There's a part of my work that believes that when you're, when you're in the moment in that time on a film set, that's your time to be in process. Um, and that's your time to really lend your whole spirit and energy to the character you're trying to play. And to me, that is channeling. And so I don't know if I'd call it complete method. I guess you could call it that. But channeling to me is to put the attention where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. So that brings me to Gus, though, because here's Gus. This is an intense kind of a sociopath. He's this composed criminal mastermind. When you're shooting, do you remain Gus when you're not on camera? Like, do you try to stay in that mindset? And if so, what does that do to your life? <laughs> yeah, it destroys it. <laughs> the, really? Yeah, so I've refined my methodology and my method acting, what I borrow from method actors. But I, I have to answer, uh, yes, I stay very quiet on the set. Uh, because, again, you know, in television, in film, we, ha we shoot a page a day. In television, we shoot six or seven pages a day. Yeah, right. And I don't want anything to get away from me. So that, again, it's my time to cultivate. So I would distance myself on the set from other actors in between takes and walk away and just stay in that posture and position so that when that camera rolled, I could be giving all of my essence to the character I'm trying to create. That sounds like hell for, you know, family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> for you. Are you taking it off the set with you? Like when you go home at night, are you still Gus? 
No, I let it down. You okay. have to have a breather moment. Uh, Good. <laughs> you got to have a moment to breathe and go, oh, I'm me just playing a character. I'm not crazy completely, <laughs> maybe just a little. <laughs> but so I, I try to, you know, ha- find the balance. And, you know, f- uh, you have to talk to people on the set. The makeup artist comes to touch you up and, you, and people come to straighten your tie and they touch you without asking. And it's all very, you know, intr- it's it's mm-hmm. in, in, intrusive. Um, Something so Gus would not do- like, I don't think. I don't think he like people not at touching all. him. Not at all. So as they come toward me, I'm already adjusting my tie and putting my shirt tail back in my pants so they have to touch me less because I... <laughs> <laughs> and it puts them off. Yeah, they want to do their job. Uh, but I also don't want... We're energy. 90% water, energetic beings. I don't want to take on anyone else's energy. Someone fussing with me talking about how their dog didn't um, mm-hmm. eat their dog food this morning or they didn't get a chance to take their dog for a walk. I don't want to hear any of that. I want to remain in a place that's open to channeling the character I'm trying to create. And Gus was very specific, and I wanted to be very... I wanted to be ready at all times. There's there's something Gus does frequently in the show. He'll be presenting a friendly face to someone. He's seeming like a genial pillar of society. And then he'll turn away, and we see the real Gus. And his face turns to just murderous stone. And it is chilling every damn time. What are you doing physically and mentally to make that switch happen because it is it's like a switch flips on your face and suddenly you're a different guy you know uh i did a movie with spike lee and malcolm x where mm-hmm. i play talmage Hare, one of the assassins of malcolm x and i remember picking up the doll for this little girl drops a doll in the autobahn ballroom just before we were about to shoot malcolm x and i remember picking up the doll and giving the girl the doll back to her and then turning my face and turning to stone so that was an inspiration for me to be able to make very quick switches to allow the audience to see one person and then flip and allow the audience to see the real human being. It goes to something that I speak about sometimes. We wear a lot of masks in our lives. And and when we're truly with ourselves, we're different people. And when we're with other people, we're another person. So to me, that was the beginning of cultivating the quick switch, the quickly allowing the audience to see the real human being behind the words. What are you thinking when that happens, though? Or are you, I mean, is there anything conscious happening to you at that moment? Sometimes I'm thinking, I'll kill you. (laughs) And I will not shed a tear. Sometimes I'm thinking, just go blank. Gus has been a character that helped me to really hone much of my acting skill within a relaxed position. My yoga practice helped. Breathe deeply. Take your time. You can't control the dialogue, but you can control when you speak. You can control how you speak. And so that's a very specific thing to do within a scene with scene partners. You say something, they answer. They say something, I wait to answer. It's not in my interest for Hector Salamanca to die. At this time. We had a disagreement. He threatened my family. I'm not going to let that go. I can't allow you to kill Hector. You hurt Hector when you robbed that truck. You hurt his business. His pride. Quite effectively. And if you were to hurt him in the same manner again... I would not stand in your way. You want me to rob another truck? 
if you feel so inclined. I'm done with that. Then our business here is finished. I think of the difference in energy level between the characters of Buggin' Out and of Gus. <laughs> One yeah. is in constant motion, the other is completely quiet, totally meticulous, always perfect posture. Which do you prefer to play? Which would you rather do? I like them both, to be honest with you. I prefer to give my space, myself space to be spontaneous and have, you know, great um, pull the camera to me. Uh, but I prefer both because I think that Buggin' Out it can be more fun. He can Obviously. be more spontaneous, and, and, and he can be powerful as well. Um, but he was someone that you didn't always take completely seriously because you <laughs> realized he, he didn't yeah. quite know what he was doing. I like playing people who are in control. Um, so ultimately, you'd prefer to be in control? It makes sense because I feel like an actor, it's all about like controlling every aspect of your body in ways that maybe one doesn't in real life. Yeah, you have to pay a lot of attention to what every particle of your being is doing at any given moment. You know, I saw Public Enemy, James Cagney, years ago, and, you know, Top of the World, Ma. Yeah, the movie. It's like, you know, Public Enemy was just, like, phenomenal because the guy didn't care. He didn't give up. Hmm. Right? (laughs) And and I mention this only because that was when I fell in love with the bad guy. I went, the bad guy gets all this attention. Poor guy. You see the guy struggling in his life. You know, yeah, he's killed people. Yeah, he's murdered people. Yeah, he's just a thug. But he just needs love. (laughs) Well, that brings up a good point. Why do we, is that why we like Gus? Because he does have a backstory, but he is a a murderous villain. He's a real frightening person. And yet I think one of the reasons we are compelled by him is because we kind of like him. There's a part of us that wants him to get away with things. Absolutely. In season four, somewhere in the middle of that season, the audience got wrapped around Gus and they were really hoping that he would win. Why do you think that is? I think it's because, you know, he dealt with his life with utmost integrity. Mm -hmm. We're in a world now where integrity gets slides away. We trade on the truth. You know, Gus knows who he is. Gus is a brilliant businessman and an incredible manipulator. And he gets people to do what he wants them to do, either with a smile or, or without one. And if you don't do that, he takes care of you. This is a guy you can't, you, he's un, he, you can't, you can't deny this person. You know, he is going to do what he sets out to do because he has a vision behind it. So those are the reasons why we like him. And he he's kind of visionary. says what he's going to do. Even, even, the, even the people that stand in his way, he kind of will warn them. It's like, don't do that. That's not right. That's exactly right. That's so in a way, he's an interesting balance of a guy who has a particular moral code and also has an understanding of his own danger and what he would do to protect his not only his family of workers, but also to grow the business that he's in. We have two questions we ask everyone on the show. The first question is, if we were to meet you at a dinner party, what question should we not ask you? What's the one you're kind of <laughs> tired of? <laughs> How, what was it like to work with Brian Cranston? That's probably the, 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 the number one. <laughs> what was it like? What was it like to be on the set of Breaking Bad? Hmm, what was it like? Yeah, I was there I for weeks in... and weeks and weeks. There was a number of different things that happened. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I had good times and bad times. That's right. Be specific. All right. So specific questions. And here's our second question, which is, I'm afraid, not super specific. And it's tell us something we don't know which can be about anything, yourself or a piece of trivia about the world that would blow our minds. Hmm. Well, and what comes to me is that broccoli has more vitamin C than orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> that's and, actually pretty good. Is that that's true? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't tell you if it wasn't. 
Um, and if I'm wrong, correct me publicly. I'll take the heat. <laughs> uh, uh, are, you, are you squeezing a lot of uh, broccoli juice? Is that part of your acting yeah, regimen? I am. I like, I'm, I'm vegan now, so I love broccoli. I'll give you another one. Okay. Uh, food related, so you may hate me. Sure. Uh, okay, so the human animal is the only animal that drinks milk after it's weaned from its mother's breast. Oh, yes. Yes, that is interesting. Why do we? That it is weird, right? What are we doing? Like, yeah. We're done. We and can we're have pasteurized stuff too. Yeah, we can have carrots now. We can have all sorts of things that are crunchy. Why are we still sucking on milk? It's ridiculous. It's really, well, I guess it takes us back to where we might want to be. Uh, You're not going to touch that, are you? I'm you ain't not, touching that. I'm not. <laughs> I don't. Public radio. I can't talk about yeah. mother's breast. I thought you guys were irreverent, man. Let's get with it, man. Come on. <laughs> Giancarlo Esposito, the season finale of Better Call Saul, airs this Monday on AMC. All right, and though our interview's over, this installment of Dinner for One is not quite. No, hell no. Stick around for a preview of a forthcoming show featuring another great TV star, Alison Brie, right after this. back and uh, as Better Call Saul season comes to an end, a new show season is just beginning and that show is called GLOW that's an acronym and it stars Alison Brie we're not going to tell you what it stands for no because you should know but you may know Alison Brie as Trudy Campbell from Mad Men or the goody two shoes Annie on Community mm-hmm. and in GLOW she plays Ruth, an aspiring actress in the 80s who ends up becoming a female wrestler. That's oh, right. Yes. GLOW stands for Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. That's the best. To hear all about that, you're going to have to come back in a couple of weeks when we air my entire interview with Allison. But we've got a taste for you, though. Her answer to our standard question, tell us something we don't know. That's right. As is often the case when we drop this question on people, Allison needed a second to think up an answer. And as is also often the case, that moment was filled with goofiness. So let's hear some of that. Tell us something we don't know. And this can be either something personal about you that you haven't shared in interviews before or just an interesting fact or piece of trivia about the world. About the world? Like if I just knew something crazy about sea turtles? Sure, yeah. Like the idea being, I think Jessica Chastain, she told us that giraffes sleep standing up, which I still don't know if that's true. That's a good fact. Giraffes are my favorite animal. Okay. I I do think that they do sleep standing up because, you know, where are they going to put that neck? They are so weird. They're but, weird. I mean, no judgment on that but being your determined. favorite animal. But Thank you. You couldn't I mean, really put them anywhere. I think. They're so big. Yeah. Well, I don't want to own them. I just want to appreciate them from afar. Mm, I just want them in children's books. In yeah, fact, me too. They're, actually, there's no evidence I've seen that they aren't just fictional things in children's books because I live <laughs> in New York. I've never seen a giraffe. Oh, you've never been to the zoo? You, they don't mm. have giraffes at the New York Zoo? I don't have kids. Like, I haven't gone to the zoo. I think I'm at a stage <laughs> in my life... Adults are also allowed at the zoo. I feel like if you're uh, an adult male of a certain age, you're not allowed to go to the zoo by yourself. I don't know. You should take... Uh, <laughs> I think you it's should a bad a date, <laughs> Go on a date to the zoo. It's a sweet date spot. You also shouldn't go to, like, the McDonald's playground by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yes. Good. That's a good call. Or at least um, those okay. are the terms of my release. Um, this is... <laughs> uh, I gotta go. There you go, Brendan Francis Newnham, <laughs> scaring away another guest. Allison Bree, I have no fear. 
I was joking. Don't say and things like look, that. look, she stuck around long enough to talk about Glow. Okay. And that'll be in a forthcoming episode of our show. So please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. All right. We'll wait. Then next week, don't forget, is our one-hour special Look Up and Listen. Information at dinnerpartydownload.org slash lookup. Till then, we must inform you, our show wouldn't be possible without senior producer Jackson Musker, associate producers Krista Ripple and James Kim, associate digital producer Christina Lopez, intern Emerald Douglas, and our engineer this week, Ben Tolliday. See you next time. Bon appétit. Hashtag giraffes are fake. <laughs>